Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hi, guys. This is Ariel, host of Murder Under the Midnight Sun, an Alaskan true crime podcast. I'm a lifelong Alaskan, and while the state is beautiful, it does have a dark side. So if you're interested in hearing about true crime stories you've never heard of before, and also learning a little about the 49th state, give me a listen. I'm on iTunes and Stitcher. The Mysterious Circumstances Podcast is hosted by Justin Rimmel. This is an American Crimecast production. Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. What's up, you crazy people? This is Boone, and you're listening to Justin Rimmel and Mysterious Circumstances. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, it's Justin. Welcome to part two of Edgar Casey, the Sleeping Prophet. I hope everybody enjoyed part one. This is a continuation of his life. Uh, as I stated before in part one, we will not get into too many details. There will be some details, but not too many. I'm going to save most of those for the facts and theories episode. So that'll be uh, part four. Part three will be coming out, I believe, Wednesday night. I had did a conducted a couple interviews for that, and it should turn out pretty good, I think. Uh, before we get started, I do have to get some business out of the way. I very rarely do this, but it should be known if you would like to donate to the podcast. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. You can make any kind of donation you would like there. It is much appreciated. If you go to accproductions.org, go to podcast, click on mysterious circumstances, you can find... Uh, clothes there you can find t-shirts you can find all kinds of stuff for american crime cast and mysterious circumstances so there is merchandise available um if you want to follow me on social media i do have a facebook page i will say that the facebook group is actually quite more active we have a lot of fun in there if you are a weak person do not join the group because we do have meme wars there is some weird shit but we also have very very good discussions and everybody is uh, pretty fucking cool so that should be known if you would like to follow me on instagram you can either follow mysterious podcast or if you know my name just follow my personal account either or is fine whatever's clever uh, i do have a twitter at podcast mc you can find me there I don't really post on Twitter too much, but I am in there uh, usually lurking around, liking everybody else's stuff. So, all right, with all that being said, my name is Justin, and welcome to Mysterious Circumstances. There is one man whose prophetic and predictive talents continue to baffle even the most hard-nosed skeptics. With his eighth grade education, he uncovered secrets of our past that no historians could have known. He predicted wars, diagnosed and cured illnesses, and saw cataclysmic changes to our planet that only scientists could have described. And he did it all in his sleep. A 
man named Edgar Casey had the amazing ability to put himself in a trance and provide individuals with detailed information about virtually anything they asked about the present, the past, or the future. Edgar Casey is probably the most profoundly important clairvoyant of all time. He was clearly the most gifted psychic of, of the 20th century. Death, Edgar Casey said in another reading, in that moment, as in birth, we have the beginning of an earthly sojourn, little or long as time may be. So birth into the spiritual plane begins with death in the earth plane. Merely the separation of the spiritual and soul forces from the earthly connection. And only those who will consider the experience as one may come to understand or indeed comprehend what peace really means. I mean, he says it explicitly that the attitudes and expectations of the questioner make a difference. And there are two major areas where I think the Casey material just doesn't hold up. One is his Egyptian history, and the other is Atlantis. I think the most uh, unusual telepathy clairvoyance that I ran into dad with personally. One day I caught him at lunch after lunch and he came in just to rest for a few minutes and I was sitting at a bridge table and they dealt four bridge hands out. And I said, dad, why don't you like to play bridge? Now you play all these other games. Why don't you like to play bridge? He said, well, he said, you know, uh, bridge, you have to concentrate so hard that um, it's very easy to read your mind when you're playing bridge. And I said, well, now, come on, you're pretty good when you're asleep, but when you're awake, I, I've never seen you do this kind of thing very often. And I, I can't imagine, you You know, you're saying you read your mind at a conscious level. He said, yeah. And he got mad. It irritated him that I was doubting him. And he said, pick up that hand in front of you. And he said it just like that, pick up that hand. You know, I tried to placate him and slow him down. I said, oh, now, forget about it. It's all right. Just forget about it. He said, pick up the hand. And I, don't arrange it. Just spread it out. Look at it. And he looked at it. I looked at it. And he started calling it and correctly called 13 cards right across. Got up and snorted and walked out. Said, that's the reason I don't like to play bridge. I, I thought, you know, at the time that anybody who put their faith in a psychic ought to visit a psychiatrist. Of course, you know, today I'm of the opposite opinion. I, I feel like every psychiatrist ought to consult a psychic. You know, I, I, was, I was very skeptical. I just didn't believe it. Any story that, that's too good to be true, when you dig deep enough, turns out not to be true. You know, this didn't turn out to be the case. I, I got, we got up in the library, uh, I think it was like on a Thursday afternoon, uh, and on Monday I was still looking for that you know, reading, it didn't make sense. It, it, was, a, uh, it was a real wake-up call for me. Uh, we're talking 14,000-plus readings, and so that strikes you. Names, dates, body parts, blood type, you know, uh, body temperature, you know, actually hard, hard details. You know, Casey didn't speak in these vague, ambiguous terms. I just didn't get it. Uh, you know, it's like a, a Las Vegas stage performer who's got to concoct a new act uh, every day. You know, I just, it didn't make sense. What happens is you stop asking yourself, did Casey do what he is said to have done? Because the evidence is overwhelming. He did. And you start asking yourself, well, how did he do it? 
It's a famous case of that kind that you were witness to, the man on the steps of the New York post office. Oh, yes, he slipped on ice. Slipped yeah, on. Yeah. And Dad looked back into mm-hmm. a time when he had had the accident, injured a particular vertebra, and mentioned that mm-hmm. vertebra. Now, the man had ended up as a result of this in a mental institution, mm-hmm. and they got him out by correcting osteopathically the vertebra mm-hmm. in the lower part of his spine at exactly the area. Mm-hmm. They x-rayed it and found it exactly in the spine, as Dad had described it, and then corrected it, mm-hmm. and he got all right. Uh, and there's thousands of these examples, and so I had read all these things, and I had seen the documentation that they were correct. So here's a man who's who's sitting either in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, or in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and he's talking about people. And in some cases, for instance, in one particular case that I remember, he gave a reading in a dialect of Italian. And he didn't speak Italian. He had an eighth-grade education, post-Civil War, uh, rural Southern education, and he's giving this reading in a di- not just Italian, but a dialect of Italian. And they couldn't understand it. And they had to go out. And, and Hugh Lynn went out and found a fruit vendor who came from, it was Genovese, I think, mm-hmm. and who could, in, who could translate it. It was for a woman in Italy. And he gave it, he gave the reading in the dialect of her region. Here's a, a definition from the readings, from Educator's reading. Death in the material plane is passing through the outer door into a consciousness in material activities that partake of what the entity or soul has done with its spiritual truth in its manifestations in other spheres. What's this death like? Educacy met him one day and talked with him. Educacy was preparing to give a reading. He had lost consciousness. He went out, he said. He, he frequently saw himself traveling, as you remember, on a shaft of light. I went out and I realized that I had contacted death as a personality, as an individual, or as a being. Realizing this, I remarked to death, hmm, you are not as ordinarily pictured with a black mask or a hood or a skeleton or like Father Time or the sickle. Instead, you're fair and rosy-cheeked and robust. You have a pair of scissors. In fact, I had to look twice at the feet or limbs or even see, even at the body, to see it take shape. He replied, yes, death is not what many seem to think. It's not a horrible thing, which is often picked as it is often pictured. Just a change, just a visit. The scissors are indeed the implements most representative of life and death to man. These indeed unite by dividing and divide by uniting. Relegating Edgar Casey to the place of someone who simply predicted the future makes Edgar Casey an event. And in my opinion, the material is so helpful, so valuable, that it's much more a source of information that help people in the here and now. He isn't any one thing. That is, you can't stick him in a box and label it mystic. You can't stick him in a box and label him psychic. You can't stick him in a box and label him prophet. At the end of the day, Edgar Cayce's readings are not about whether he was right or wrong about Egyptian or Atlantean history, or whether there even was that kind of history. I think at the end of the day, what matters is that he helps us to better understand who we are and why we're here.
Alright, now where we left off in part one was in 1923, where Edgar Casey is at about 46 years of age, and he goes to Dayton, Ohio with an investor, at least one investor, and he's there trying to raise money for this hospital. And this is when he gives his first life reading. He is, you know, asked about, you know, the soul of, of a human, and he's asked about all these metaphysical things. And he ends up giving a couple answers, and as he reads the, the transcription afterward, this is where he starts questioning his religion. He was a devout Christian, and his reading uh, was talking about reincarnation and the soul living on after death and not going to either heaven or hell. So at this point in time, he starts looking into other religions uh, from anywhere from ancient Egypt to, you know, paganism to Hinduism to everything because he's trying to search for meaning to this. He's trying to make sense of it all. Now at this point in time, you know, the investor ended up falling through in Dayton and he's not making any money. Just like always, Edgar Casey was struggling. Uh, his wife, you know, really hit her hard. She stuck with this guy through thick and thin. You know, she came from money. She never veered away from him though, which was amazing. She was an amazing woman. So after the prospects in Dayton kind of dried up, uh, as luck would have it, his friend from Kentucky, David Kahn, who was mentioned in part one, introduces him to the Blumenthal brothers. And this was in about August of 1924. He meets Morton and Edwin Blumenthal. Now, these two guys were stockbrokers. They were from Pennsylvania. They had, I believe, gone to Columbia and started making a lot of money on the start stock market. They started their own firm, and they, um, I believe, uh, Morton got a reading from Edgar Casey, and he was so blown away that he agreed to finance the Casey Hospital, which was all that Edgar Casey had thought about since right around 1910. This is where he really started envisioning a hospital. So pretty much Blumenthal agreed to fund this hospital because what he saw, he believed in Casey that much. So the two brothers agreed to do this in Virginia Beach. Now, part of this is because of Casey's readings. Casey's readings advised him to do it in a coastal area where there is sand, sun, and water because those would intensify his, you know, psychic abilities or whatever you want to refer to them as. So in about 1925 or so, the Blumenthal's put up $1.4 million in today's money, which was a hundred, little over $100,000 back then. And they give him the money to start this uh, this hospital. They also buy Casey a house on the beach. And, you know, right around 1925, 1926, he moved the entire family out to Virginia Beach. Now, in 1926, Edgar Casey's mother dies. And he had some 
personal issues with his father, as we discussed in part one. Uh, he put all that aside, and his father actually moved into the home with them as well. You know, they're getting the money around, you know, a couple investors, the Blumenthal's are. And in the summer of 1928, construction on the Casey Hospital begins. Uh, in 1929, the first patients are accepted, and Edgar Casey actually starts a corporation, which is called the Association of National Investigators. Now, what this association does is they investigate different different things like science, health, education, and spiritual awakening. These are the things that this association is pretty much just going to spend all their time investigating because this is what Edgar Casey was really concentrating on after he did his first life reading. So when they start accepting patients, they can't really find any doctors to work there. Nobody really took this seriously. A lot of doctors laughed it off. They thought it was quackery. Uh, they thought it was a joke, so he entrusts his friend from Kentucky, Dr. Thomas House, to be the main doctor there. And this doctor and this hospital was actually pretty cutting edge for its time. They practiced more holistic uh, osteopathic therapies and stuff like that. It was massages. There was a lot of dieting, special diets, low-fat diets. There were... They introduced low levels of electricity to the body, which anybody who has been to a chiropractor can relate to that nowadays. So, you know, he was a little bit ahead of his time, I will say that. And at this point, when all this comes together, this was a huge triumph for Edgar Casey. This was his dream come true. All the ridicule and the skepticism that he had been through his entire life. And it all culminated right here. The hospital was pretty much a, a success from then. They they really, I think they averaged about 30 patients a month. Um, Morton Blumenthal actually budgeted the hospital. He gave it a budget of about $3,000 per month. And that would run the hospital. And... That equals out to about $42,000 a month today. Uh, Blumenthal would always stay at the Cavalier Hotel right there in Virginia Beach as well. Um, he, Edgar Casey, he was enjoying his spare time when he wasn't, you know, helping treat people. He was, uh, he was doing a lot of gardening. He was doing a lot of fishing. He enjoyed simple pleasures like this because at the end of the day he was a pretty simple guy it was just you know when he was sleeping that he was extraordinary it is it should be noted that Edgar Casey, because of his giving personality he would offer free treatments to people who could not afford them he would give free meals to his staff and some of the patients who could not afford them because that's kind of the person he was. It is also at about this point in time when he agrees that as long as he knows about it ahead of time, he will give financial 
readings. He would start taking financial questions during those readings. Some of the people who might have benefited from this were the Blumenthal's, and maybe this was part of their arrangement. I really could not tell you. There's a lot of speculation on that. So on April 6th, 1929, Blumenthal asked him about the stock market during a reading, in which Casey replied, and I quote, There must surely be a break where there would be panic in the money centers. Blumenthal kind of disregarded this warning, and six months later, on October 29, 1929, the stock market crashed. And at about, you know, 1930 or so, the hospital really suffered from this. There's a lot of different stories about the reasoning for the hospital closing. One of which is that because of the stock market crash, the Blumenthal's were hit hard and they had to pull all of their funding from the hospital, in which case it closed and they sold the property. Another one is that there was actually a power struggle between the Blumenthal's and David, and David Kahn over who had the rights to Edgar Casey's psychic abilities and David Kahn won so the Blumenthal's pulled out all their funding now there is evidence to suggest that the Blumenthal's did survive the Great Depression pretty much unscathed they survived the stock market crash we will get into a lot more uh, detail on that in the facts and theories episode but it should be noted that there are a couple different conflicting stories at this point in time as well, the Association of National Investigators is disbanded. Uh, David Kahn, at this point in time, has made a fortune in the furniture business, and partly because of Casey's readings. Edgar Casey, again, is broke. He is left with nothing. His house is sold out from underneath him by Morton Blumenthal, and he pretty much just wants to give up. His son even said that he just didn't want to do anything anymore. He didn't want to live anymore. Like, that was his dream. And within two years, it all just came crumbling down. But people still came around. People came around to his house. They would come around all hours of the night, all hours of the day. And Edgar Casey always told the people around him that were there to treat them with kindness, that he would still help them. Because it didn't matter whether he had this hospital or not, he needed to help these people. So he was still giving out a lot of readings. So we move forward to about February of 1931. Uh, a lot of Edgar Casey's supporters gathered, and they appealed to him that he should not quit what he is doing, that he is too important, that he needs to keep going. So they formed the ARE at this point in time, and that is the Association of Research and Enlightenment. And it should be said on a side note that in 1955, a decade after Casey's death, um, they did get ownership back of the original Casey Hospital, and they made that their headquarters, which I think was very, very cool. It was very, very grand gesture. Now, when he formed the ARE, he made it to where he would receive an annual salary, 
because he was pretty much tired of struggling and the ARE did have members that had money that were financially well off but he also made it very very clear that those who were unable to pay and those payments were donations they would still get free readings because he could not turn anybody away now in late 1931 Edgar Casey goes on a fundraising trip to uh, New York City and he gives a reading to a woman who supposedly was in desperate need. As it turns out, this woman and her friend who were there were police women and they were undercover. Now there is rumor that the Blumenthal's were the ones who were behind this. That is totally unsubstantiated. It is just a rumor. Gladys Gertrude and Edgar Casey himself, which Gladys being the stenographer that he had hired back in, I think it was 1923, uh, they were all three arrested for fortune telling. Now, their case was very, very thin against Edgar Casey. They really didn't have much to go on, but the press went nuts. They started all these rumors that Edgar Casey was arrested with Gladys in a hotel room and that he was having an affair on his wife and all this stuff. And it was it was total bullshit. It was not even true. The case ended up being dismissed by the judge for the reason of the physical research by a bona fide organization that was devoted to that specific purpose was not cause to, you know, actually charge him with anything. So the case was dismissed. Now, between late 1931 and 1935, he is going around. He's still doing a lot of readings. Um, he's trying to raise funds, uh, all that good stuff for the ARE. And he's still trying to, like I said, give free readings and do all this other stuff. Now, in 1935, in Detroit... Edgar Casey was arrested again, this time for practicing medicine without a license. Yes, he was charged. He was found guilty. He was put on probation. Uh, he had no fines and no jail time. When he returned from Detroit back to Virginia Beach after the incident there in Detroit, he was beat down again. I mean, he had been through so much at this point in time in his life just in general, let alone within the last 10 years. It was a roller coaster for this guy. He's at home. He has a dream. And he has a dream about himself being reincarnated in Nebraska in the year 2100. Now, in this dream, he finds out that the works that he did as Edgar Casey are still known. And this is such an important step. This is such an important part right here because this came at an all-time low for Edgar Casey. And this pretty much to him solidified what he was doing. It pretty much told him that he was doing the right thing and he was on the right path and he needed to keep going. Now also at this point in time, Edgar Casey is getting a little bit older. And his readings start expanding. The details start expanding. 
and he starts in one in one actual reading he describes the journey of his consciousness to where he is able to do these readings and he describes it as moving up through a beam of light and he pass he's passing by images and sounds and pretty much moving to other dimensions related to the info that he needed this is known as the akashic records and this is as casey describes it where every thought sound and event from the beginning of time is recorded now this is where he says he gets all his information about patience and pretty much anything else that he has ever been able to give a reading on and around this time period he starts doing his own life readings and in his own life readings he finds out that he has been incarnated 17 times and has been anywhere from ancient Egypt to Persia and even to Atlantis and with the mention of Atlantis he mentions Atlantis over 700 times in these readings he describes it he describes the downfall and he describes the people of Atlantis that survived and or left Atlantis that actually settled in ancient Egypt I mean like I said his readings start getting a lot more I don't want to say out there but he starts expanding what he's doing and he starts getting really really deep into ancient times and a lot bigger predictions a lot more reincarnation and a lot more information now by 1937 at the age of 60 Casey has a pretty big loyal following and he starts just doing so many readings about the past present and future they all just start spilling out now it is about in this time you know skeptics are still saying he's making everything up there's there's no way this guy could be able to provide this kind of information on medical knowledge past present and future uh, past lives you know mind body and soul just all kinds of vast knowledge now the physical readings we have to admit that there are too many verified physical readings to even dispute you can't dispute it now there will be a lot of skeptics that are like I want names dates times I want to be able to track these people down to verify now before 1923 Casey didn't document very many of his readings that in 1923 was when he did get his stenographer Gladys but even before then he did not use names in his readings and there is a very good reason because at this point in time pretty much anywhere in the world it was a different time than it is now even if he would have given their names or wanted to the people getting these readings would not want to be known they it was very very frowned upon to see a psychic you know they quote unquote might have done the devil's work depending on what church you went to you would be looked at and you would be you know you would be shunned by a community you would be laughed at you would be ridiculed 
So a lot of his readings, the people involved are described as numbers. There are some who were very forthcoming with information saying, yeah, you know, you can put my name in there. This is me. But usually between Casey and the patient, it was a documented number and date. And then the reading word for word. Some of his predictions, he did predict the crash of 29 in the stock market. And in 1935 as well, he said the Japanese would join Germany and Austria as a pretty big world threat. And at the time, this really didn't make sense. It seemed really, really bizarre. And as we have come to find out, that is what happened. And the cause of that was World War II. I mean, there were a lot of causes to World War II, obviously, but this was a precursor. Also, at this point in time, a lot of his predictions became very extreme. Now, in 1936, he predicts that the Earth's poles would shift. I can't remember the specific date he said this was this would happen, but it did happen eventually. I cannot remember the specific year. We will talk more about that in the Facts and Theories episode. But while he predicts this, he also predicts the geographical changes that will occur with the pole shift. Now he states that each coast would disappear underneath water. That would be the East Coast and the West Coast. All of California, all of New York, all the East Coast, and that actually would include Florida as well. And at this point in time, it is said that Atlantis, which would rise up out of the sea off of the East Coast of Florida, and he said that this would happen in the year 1969. Now, he was obviously wrong on this prediction, and we will definitely touch base more on that in the Facts and Theories episode. At his age, it is speculated that he had less of a filter than he did in his younger years, so his predictions and his readings were just spilling out all this information, and he kind of knew that he was nearing the end of his life. This was in the late 30s. So he kind of had a sense that his time was coming up. So he was trying to release as much information as he could. Or whoever had control of him while he was in these trances was trying to get as much information out as they could. Now in 1943... Edgar Casey's health starts failing. He was a lifelong smoker, and the readings that he did took a toll on him. They took a toll on him emotionally and physically. This was not something that was easy for him to do. He advised himself in a reading to only do two readings a day, but Edgar Casey was the man that could not say no. He didn't listen to his own advice. There were letters pouring in from all over the world, from people who were terminally ill, from people who had relatives that were missing in action or overseas fighting in World War II, and he could not turn these people down. He was doing up to eight readings a day at this point in time. Now, it's stated from June of 1943 to June of 1944, in a one-year span, at the age of 66, Edgar Casey did 1,300 readings in that one year alone. And he knew he couldn't do this to himself. He knew that he could not continue 
going down this road doing this many readings, but he felt like he had to. It really, really took a toll on him because he was so divided, but he felt obligated. He felt that he, he just, this is something that he had to continue doing to help as many people as he could. Now in August of 1944, Edgar Casey collapsed from overwork and he gave one final reading for himself. He laid down on a couch, he put his hands on his forehead and prayed, and he went into his trance. And he said the same thing that he always said at the beginning of every reading. We can see the body. The next words that came out of his mouth were, and I quote, rest until well, or dead. So Edgar Casey and his family went to the mountains of Virginia to recuperate. He wasn't there very long before he had a stroke. Now a lot of visitors would come to see how he was doing. A lot of people that had worked for him. Uh, one office worker in particular, a woman by the name of May St. Clair, uh, visited him quite often. And in one visit, she, she said, Edgar, do you want to go home? And he said, yes, I do. Everybody felt that he belonged back in Virginia Beach, where he was more full. He just felt more complete there. So they took him back home. But by this time, it was too late. In November of 1944, he did come back to Virginia Beach, but his health never returned back to normal. And on January 3rd, of 1945, Edgar Casey passed away at the age of 67, and he was later buried in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Now Gertrude, his wife, passed on April 1st, 1945, just a few, few months later, and it is stated that she pretty much lost her will to live. This was the man that she had devoted her life to, that she had loved from a very young age, that she had struggled with and would never leave his side. This was the man that she saw everything in. This was her everything. And she just, as stated by her son, she couldn't continue living without him. He was survived by his kids. So now we touch base on some of the legacy, what Edgar Casey really was. He was a prophet to some people. He was a psychic to some people. He was a healer to some people. He was a husband and a father to some people. But above all, Edgar Casey, I think, was a good man. He had integrity. He would never say no to anybody. He wouldn't turn anybody down. Edgar Casey went through a lot of shit in his life. A lot of ups and downs. He saw his lifelong dream of having a hospital come true. Only to see it torn down within a couple years. But he still kept going. Now there are a lot of people that don't believe 
Edgar Casey did some of the things that he did. You know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe he didn't. Maybe they're fucking wrong. Maybe he did. But Edgar Casey left behind a legacy. There have been over a hundred books written about Edgar Casey in 18 different languages. And all these books say different things about him. But I think what it all comes down to was that Edgar Casey believed that we all had the power to be better human beings and that we all had the power to see beyond the physical, to see beyond ourselves. I think that's something we all need to remember. Whether you're a skeptic, whether you're a believer, whether you're a follower, whether you, you know, can't stand the name Edgar Casey because you think it's total bullshit. I think every single one of us has to respect the fact that at the end of the day, he was who he was. Whether you believe him or not, I think he just wanted all all of us to be better humans. And you gotta fucking respect that. So, I suppose at this point in time, I will see you guys on part three, which will be, will be released here in a couple of days. I do have the audio for those. I just have to go through and edit it and release it. Until then, I will see you on the flip side.